You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome to Monday, right here on WJMSRadio.com. That's right, it's Monday. That means this is Fired Up. And I am Steve, your host, and we are about to get into the political machine here in the United States. So, I hope everybody is still continuing to stay safe as possible, uh, as we uh, now have the reality of a COVID vaccine, the first uh, vaccine to come to the American market, and uh, the approvals have been put in place, the shipments are on their way, and the first arms to receive the vaccination against COVID-19 should start seeing that happening sometime uh, this week. And, uh, you know, I know I join a lot of you in saying thank goodness and kudos and thank God for the scientists and researchers and the people who volunteered for the test to help bring this vaccine from Pfizer and the one that will be coming shortly from Moderna, as well as uh, I believe there are two or three other vaccines that are out there following in the phase trial process. Uh, So it looks like the long-awaited and anticipated uh, vaccination process here in this country is going to get started. And, you know, as I said, it it is a blessing to be able to uh, report that. Um, You know, obviously, there is a protocol as to who will get vaccinated first, and we'll get into all of that in a second or two. But first, let's uh, continue our tradition here of recapping where we are with the COVID virus. Um, We are at 16.2 million cases, and as of the, the time this show is aired, we will likely be at or just above 300,000 people who have died from the disease uh, and over 180,000 people uh, hospitalized for COVID. Uh, So, you know, this has been, you know, a devastating pandemic and it continues to be a devastating pandemic. Don't get it twisted. Just because there is a virus out there doesn't mean that, you know, this whole thing is just going to be, you know, shut down, turned off, uh, packed up and put away. Um, We are moving into a phase of being able to uh, treat and care for people who are at risk for getting the disease. And, you know, much like uh, other, you know, pandemics that have hit, Uh, We are still a ways away from anything like a having it under total and complete control. Uh, Even as the vaccines roll out, the risk of spreading the disease uh, will continue. But hopefully, you know, between the vaccine and increased amounts of people following the scientific and medical community guidelines, uh, we will see this vaccine, the, the surges begin to recede, and hopefully fewer people will contract the disease and a lot fewer people will ultimately die from it. Uh, but, you know, I join with you know, everyone in welcoming the vaccine here to America and can't wait until 
I get notification that I would be eligible to get the vaccine and I will do so. Um, so, you know, that's good news. I'm happy that we can start the show off with some good news uh, because we're about to take the, the e-ticket ride straight into crazy town uh, as we talk about the politics over the last week, 10 days uh, here in America. So let's see, where are we? We are a little bit more than uh, five weeks out from the inauguration of Joe Biden as president of the United States and Kamala Harris as his vice president. Uh, by the time this show aired, airs, rather, we should have uh, results uh, coming out from the review of the Electoral College in the uh, Senate and House of Representatives. And you know, unfortunately, you know, I do record this show ahead of uh, Mondays uh, when it airs. So I don't have information on, you know, what the outcome of the Electoral College report was. Uh, I can't say whether or not there were any last minute uh, shenanigans pulled by the Republican Party uh, to try and monkey wrench as a last ditch effort the electors uh, voting for the winner of the presidential election. I will say, and, you know, and that segues into you know, the, the first stop here in Crazy Town that we are going to visit, and that is that uh, early last week, and, and again, as, as happens with this show, because I, 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 I broadcast this show on Mondays, Obviously, I have to record it ahead of that time in order to get it into the queue uh, here at WJMS. So there are some stories that I simply don't or, or can't get to because they haven't happened as of the time I'm recording the show. And there have been more than a few occasions where I've you know put the show to bed, get it uploaded to WJMS, and... Then, you know, my news feed lights up with some new development that comes up that I wasn't able to get covered, so I have to wait a week. And, you know, that is uh, the, the case with what happened uh, early in the week, where, as you probably have heard, the state of Texas, who has spent quite a lot of time on my discussion radar this year, um, voted or, or filed a lawsuit uh, with the Supreme Court, directly into the Supreme Court, to challenge the vote outcome in four of the swing states from the 2020 election, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia. And as if that wasn't crazy enough, 18 attorneys generals from other Republican-led states signed on to the suit going into the Supreme Court, along with 126 Republican members of the House of Representatives, who also, in, in addition to the, the AGs, as I mentioned above, filed what are known as amicus briefs or friend of the court documents in support of the measure with the Supreme Court. Now, the issue here is that what Texas and, and, and this group was seeking to do 
was to completely overturn and throw out the election results of the four states I just mentioned. Um, you know, on first look, that is is crazy because basically it is taking away the will of the people. On second look, it is crazy because uh, elections are state run by definition under the Constitution. And the on third look, it is crazy because this by the same extension, it is illegal and not permitted for one state to exercise its will over another state. Basically, Texas was saying to these four states, we're throwing out the results of your elections. Um, so we're, we're going to you know, eliminate those elections. Those electors who were decided by the vote of the public uh, will no longer be allocated to the Democratic candidate but will instead be allocated in some fashion, the, the suit didn't get into details on how it would happen, uh, to the Republican candidate, essentially taking the win away from Joe Biden and giving it to Donald Trump. Now, you know, that is, is very problematic because the, the process of elections, the, the one person, one vote, even though our votes go to pick the electors who actually do the lifting of, you know, the the confirmation of the win to whichever candidate has gathered the most votes, um, it, it takes away and it eliminates the will of the people from our democratic process, which is the very cornerstone of how this country is constructed. So, you know, it is you know, crazy? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, it was absolutely mind stunning to, to hear that this process was actually undertaken. Now, the interesting thing that uh, scarcely a day later, the Supreme Court in a 9-0 unanimous decision threw out that case citing that, number one, it does not have what is called legal standing for the state of Texas to overturn the results of other states in the union uh, in regards to their election. And two, there was nothing, not one scintilla of evidence or information presented to corroborate the request. So it, it, it's just it it boggles the mind that you know that somewhere in Texas people thought up the idea. Well, hey, let's you know let's trash the votes in you know Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and that will you know give Trump his two seventy, and you know Trump will be our guy for four more years. Um, that's not how our country works, people. We vote for our elected officials and the we is we the people not we the states and the fact that 18 uh, or 17 additional attorneys general in republican states thought that that was a good idea and signed their name to it uh, just further exacerbates that craziness uh, it, it raises the question 
and I've asked this before on the show, is you know what leverage does Donald Trump have over the Republican Party um, that that generates this disregard for the law, our Constitution, and basically our our entire way of life as as far as a country um, to the extent that people are willing to throw all of these out the window uh, just to to uh, execute his wishes you know and in particular it it calls into question um, what our elected officials in Congress were thinking in terms of signing on to this this farce um, you know, and and raises the question about where their real loyalties lie. Do does the loyalty lie to you know Donald Trump, or does the loyalty lie with the United States of America? So let me let me read something for you, and it, it goes like this. It says, "I you know, state your name, do solemnly swear or affirm." that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God." That is the oath of office that every elected official at the federal level in particular, um, but you know, at, at many of the higher state level positions, that is the oath of office that an elected official swears to when they take their, their seat uh, in the office to which they've been elected. Now, nowhere in that statement did it said that they will support and defend Donald Trump. Nowhere in that statement did it say that they will defend and support the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or any party. Uh, it actually even doesn't say that it will defend and support the flag of the United States you know, or any other symbol or object. It says quite simply, quite plainly, and right at the top, I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The Constitution. And the act that they signed on to was 100% um, unconstitutional. There is no language in the Constitution that allows, infers, or suggests that one state can overthrow the election results of another state, period, full stop. It is not allowed. So you have to think that the people who are in the House of Representatives and the Senate, um, you know, know this. You would think and you would hope that they have at least an elementary school level understanding of our Constitution. Not to mention the fact that uh, 147 of the members of Congress are lawyers. Repeat that. 147 members of the Congress of the United States are actually lawyers. 
and they should really understand the Constitution as that is the basis for their education. It is the basis for what they have done, you know, in their professional careers. It is, it is the basis for why they sit where they sit in that building in Washington. And, you know, it, it boggles the mind to think that they can just throw all of that out, uh, you know, in, in support of, you know, the, the current president of the United States. I just don't get it. And, you know, someone out there can give me a viable and plausible explanation for why this, this happened. Send it to me in an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I really have been racking my brains and burning up the internet trying to find some reason or justification for that action. So if, if someone out there knows, please send it on to me. I would appreciate getting it, and you know we can, we can chat about it and discuss about it, and I'll bring it on to the show. So that was how the week started. And just when you thought that, okay, that was weird, um, we went beyond crazy town into the county of WTF because late last week the state of wait for it Texas the chairman of the GOP in Texas went on public airwaves made a public statement that he intended to file legislation for the state of Texas to secede from the Union and form a, a sovereign country that would be loyal to the uh, Constitution and loyal to law. And, you know, that alone, <laughs> on top of what happened at the start of the week, then you had this. So... You know, it's it's one of those. Let me see if I have this straight. You didn't get what you wanted in terms of the election. In that, um, you know, the the person you wanted to elect or re-elect a president didn't win. So you decide that you're going to overthrow the elections in four other states in the United States of America to make that desired outcome a reality. Okay, that didn't work. So now you're just going to take your ball, take your bat, take your marbles and throw up a wall and become your own country. That's your made that's your master plan. Now, I I I haven't heard of any other states joining this, although there's been some chatter out there uh from other states um who were looking at it and and so forth, but I think that the Monday event maybe kind of was a wake-up call to, you know, Republican leaderships uh, around the country that, you know, maybe we are starting to cross that bridge too far, that, you know, okay, you know, we lost, it's crazy, I hate it, but it is what it is, we got to go forward, we got to do what's right for the people, maybe. That's what occurred. And we haven't had any other follow-up in terms of other states joining on that bandwagon. Uh, in addition, 
that that decision and the statements have been uh, and are being you know wildly widely criticized and roundly um, uh, repudiated as you know uh, again that that's a bridge too far. Number one, you know that isn't a legitimate reason to succeed to secede from this the from the union. Um, number two, uh, we actually fought a war over that, a very costly war. Uh, it was called the Civil War because you know a group of states, 11 states, wanted to run things their own way, which ran counter to what the United States at the time was operating under. And you know they wanted to exercise their ultimate state's right and lead the Union. And we ended up going to war over that dispute. This is just, it's, it's crazy. It is, that's the only word you can put to it. It is crazy. Uh, I don't get it. I don't understand uh, what the thinking is behind it as to why they think this would be better. Just to exercise the absurdity. Let's say that Texas did successfully secede from the Union. So basically... They would go back to where they were, um, you know, 190 some odd years ago, being an independent country. What are you going to do about the things that you need to get that don't exist in your so-called new country of Texas? You know, uh, it, it just would create such havoc and chaos within Texas that it, it's beyond belief. You know, what do you do with a company that may be headquartered in, you know, a, a Democrat run state, yet your warehouses are located in the new country of Texas? So you would need to set up a trade agreement with the United States in order for your company headquarters to be able to tell your warehouse to ship product from that warehouse in, back into the United States. I mean, did anybody think this through? You know, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. So, you know, to, to the Republicans out there um, who thought maybe that overturning state elections was a good idea or that, you know, a Republican-run state that didn't get its way should secede from the union is a good idea, you're not thinking it through. It is not in your best interest. You know, it is only going to create problems and hardship and exacerbate the situations we have. You know, un understandably, Republicans are disappointed and upset uh, that, you know, Donald Trump lost the election. However, the Republican Party actually made out very well in the election. They gained seats in the House. So far, they have defended their majority in the Senate. You know, the, the races in Georgia are still up in the air. We will see how that turns out. Um, but for right now, the status quo of Republican control in the Senate remains the same. And actually, the, the status quo of uh, seats in the House actually fell a little bit more in favor of the Republicans, as well as the legislature's governorships and 
you know, uh, state offices that you picked up. So while you didn't get the, the biggest prize on Election Day, you did nonetheless gain a lot in the 2020 election. Now what needs to happen is, you know, just like it's happened in prior elections. All right. The dust is settled. The election is done. We need to now come together as one country and solve our common problems. Uh, we still have a pandemic that we're going to have to deal with. We still have resources that are going to need to be uh, allocated to our people in terms of economic stimulus and support. Uh, we need to do what we can to reopen businesses in this country to get our children back in school. All of that requires all hands on deck, Democrat and Republican. We need to return to being one nation. Yes, we can be politically divided. Yes, we can be philosophically divided. We can disagree on many things, but there are some key basic elements that this country requires us to, to come together on and to solve as one nation. And as I said at the top, all of the elected officials, all of you elected officials out there, I remind you of the oath you took. To, you swore to the Constitution. You didn't swear to the president. You didn't swear to your party. You swore to the Constitution of the United States. So now it is time to stand up and stand in for our country. So, sorry that was a little bit ranty, but you know it, it that's just the craziness that we're living in. So um, let, let's take a break right here. We'll let that sink in a little bit. Uh, when we come back on the other side, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things. One, I promised to give you an update on the uh, incoming administration on the Democrat cabinet that uh, President-elect Biden is appointing. Uh, we have a number of positions that he has appointed people to and a few more that remain that he has promised to have out by Christmas. So you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.
And we're back. We're back and fired up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. I'm the host of your show, bringing you the information on what's going on in the political world, people. So, um, I know I have been promising over the last couple of weeks to uh, have a review of the uh, cabinet that Vice President, I'm sorry, that President-elect um, Joe Biden is proposing uh, for his administration. And while he hasn't gotten all of the seats uh, filled as of yet, uh, and he's promising to have the balance of his cabinet announced uh, just before the holiday. So, you know, about another week, 10 days or so, we should get the remainder. But I did want to uh, hold true to my promise uh, to talk about uh, the potential cabinet for the incoming administration under President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. And uh, let me give you the names that we have so far. Uh, I will also post a link on the Facebook page for the show, which is Fired Up Radio on Facebook.com, that has a little more detail on their background and um, all of that for the appointments that he's named so far. So let's run down the list. Um, the cabinet of the president of the United States um, has uh, 15 standing seats and a, another um, nine or 10 additional cabinet level positions that aren't secretaries, but yet are part of the advisory group uh, which the president of the United States surrounds himself with. The cabinet that President-elect Biden is proposing right now uh, hasn't been done so without some controversy and some pushback from certain segments of the Democratic Party, most notably the progressive uh, wing of the party, who has yet to see uh, members of the president's cabinet uh, that come from the progressive community. Um, some names that had been dropped over the course of the last few months as the election was winding down and, and discussions were being had as to who Biden might pick for his cabinet. You know, the progressive movement was, was dropping names like um, Bernie Sanders, uh, the senator from Vermont, uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, the senator from Massachusetts, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, congresswoman from New York, and others who reflect the progressive way of thinking within the Democratic Party. Now, to be fair, um, Biden has to walk kind of carefully uh, because the margins in the House and particularly the Senate are so slim. Uh, he has had to give consideration to uh, whether or not that the replacement of a senator, let's say, um, you know, is automatically going to be a Democratic senator. Uh, and this could be the case with uh, Bernie Sanders, as he is actually independent. And, you know, if the, if the state from which that sitting senator is from is a Republican state, then, you know, that could be problematic. Uh, that could impact the majority in the Senate. And that is something that, you know, uh, Joe Biden has to be very conscious of. In addition, you know, senators such as um, such as Bernie and such as Elizabeth carry a lot of weight. Uh, they carry a lot of seniority. 
in the Senate and their votes are absolutely necessary as well as their influence over the Senate in terms of what needs to get done. The other thing that has come out in discussion uh, very heavily over the past few weeks is the people that uh, he has appointed so far, and we're going to go through the names. There are, are several of them who were people who worked with Joe Biden under the Obama administration. Uh, there are, are several with which he has had a, a lengthy relationship over the years. And, you know, they are are very much considered to be you know, subject matter experts in their areas of expertise, which, you know, given where we are right now in terms of the pandemic and the economy and, you know, all of that uh, are absolutely necessary. So, you know, Joe Biden is clearly making selections that are critical to the, the work that needs to be done and the speed at which they need to get started with it. So, you know, he is picking people who, like him, can hit the ground running and get their uh, positions, get their house in order uh, in fairly short order. So let's go through who he's picked for uh, his cabinet. And, you know, in, in no particular you know, order, although there is a secession order uh, in terms of uh, succession to the presidency, but just to go down the list... You know, obviously, the vice president uh, is a member of the cabinet. Uh, the secretary of state, uh, the nominee for that position is Antony Blinken. Uh, the secretary of treasury nominee is Janet Yellen, who was a former uh, chair of the Federal Reserve. Uh, the Department of Defense uh, is uh, Army General Lloyd J. Austin III. Uh, and that's also raised a little bit of controversy as he will need to get approval from the House and from the Senate uh, because of the length of time since he has been separated from active duty military service. Uh, the uh, Department of Agriculture's uh, secretary nominee is Tom Vilsack. And the Department of Health and Human Services is Xavier Becerra. The Housing and Urban Development uh, Secretary nominee will be Marsha A. Fudge. The uh, Department of Veterans Affairs will be Dennis McDonough. The Department of Homeland Security will be Alejandro uh, Mayorkas. And, you know, those are the, the senior level cabinet positions that he has named so far. He still has open Department of Justice, Department of the Interior, Department of Con Commerce, Department of Labor, um, and Department of Transportation, of Energy, of Education. Then you get into uh, positions that are not secretary level positions, but have the status of cabinet rank. Uh, the Director of National Intelligence will be Averill D. Haynes. And the National Security Advisor will be Jake Sullivan. The Director of White House Domestic Policy Council will be Susan Rice. Uh, the Special Envoy for Climate will be John Kerry, former Senator. The White House Chief of Staff is Ron Klain. Uh, the Office of Management and Budget will be headed by Neera Tandon. 
The United States Trade Representative will be Catherine Chai. Uh, the United States Mission or the Ambassador to the United Nations will be Linda Thomas Greenfield. The Council of Economic Advisor uh, will be Brian Deese. Uh, his Press Secretary will be Jennifer Saki. The Surgeon General will be Vivek Murthy. And under the CDC, the director of the CDC will be Rochelle Walensky. And within that group, uh, the COVID-19 response team will be headed by Jeff Zentz and Dr. Anthony Fauci. So he has, uh, as I said, he has several cabinet seats remaining and a few of the cabinet level uh, senior officers that need to be appoint, appointed, such as the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, the Small Business Administration, uh, and I think that is it. So, as I said at the top, uh, number one, uh, President-elect Biden is appointing a very diverse cabinet. Uh, there are, you know, uh, women leading uh Many of the departments, uh, some are the first time that a woman has led that. He has named you know, several women into uh, secretary positions in the cabinet uh, and as well as um, you know, Hispanic, Latinx uh, and, and others that are representing you know, much more of the diversity of our country in his cabinet. Uh, in, in addition, you know, Avril Haines uh, is a woman who will be the first female to head the direct, be the director of national intelligence. Um, John Kerry was uh, former secretary of state under President Obama, as well as the former senator from the state of Massachusetts. Um, you know, Ron Klain has been a long time. Uh, advisor and aide to uh, Joe Biden. He was his uh, chief of staff uh, as vice president. The, you know, um, mission to the United States, Linda Thomas Greenfield, uh, woman of color, be the first, uh, first woman of color to serve in that role. So, you know, a, a widely diverse cabinet is in the making. And we will keep tabs on it and bring you the rest of the announcements um, once they become public information. But as I said, there are areas that, you know, Biden obviously is looking at very carefully and working to pick people who, you know, are, are subject matter experts and, and uh, long experience in their areas of expertise. In addition, you know, many of his cabinet members have served in other cabinet level rank that can also be a resource uh, for the incoming administration. So all in all, um, somewhat optimistic about the cabinet that the Biden administration is putting in place. Uh, Lord knows they've got their work cut out for them once they all take office. And, you know, the other consideration has to be is the the secretary level uh, positions all require approval from the Senate, which, you know, given how the makeup of the Senate turns out after the January 5th uh, election in Georgia um, has the potential for being problematic. 
So, you know, hopefully, you know, the 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 Republicans will work with the Democrats in the Senate and, you know, place duty to country above pure partisanship. Um, but, you know, between you, me and the radio station, I wouldn't necessarily bet the ranch on it. Um, but we'll see what happens. And of course, we will keep you informed and we will get into, you know, the, the details and the, the good and the bad and the ugly of it uh, as the time comes. So wanted to pivot a little bit. Um, and we, we've already talked about the, the, the positive and optimistic view that we now start to have now that the vaccines um, are rolling out to areas and people will begin getting their immunization vaccines to the COVID virus. Um, but that has also not been without controversy. Uh, it came out over the past week that uh, the Trump administration had the option to purchase up to 500 million doses uh, from Pfizer uh, months ago, you know, back in, uh, I think it was June or July. And they passed on that, that option. They didn't take that option. And of course, Pfizer, their, their you know, private company, they're in business. Uh, they put those, those doses on the market and other countries in the world purchased them. So, you know, the initial amount of doses that Pfizer is providing to the United States uh, is somewhere in the range of about 100 million, which means that, you know, 50 million uh, people uh, can be treated with it, where if, if uh, the Trump administration had secured, you know, 500 million, that would cover, you know, 80 uh, percent of the entire population of the United States uh, in the in the first go around. Now, you know, to their to their credit, they've also you know made deals with other vaccine providers, you know, Moderna, um, Johnson and Johnson, and AstraZeneca uh, to provide doses of their vaccines once they uh, finish their phase three trials and come to the market. But it should be noted that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are a lot more efficacious in, in terms of their impact on the virus uh, for those immunized uh, with efficiency of, of 95%, whereas the other two are lower than that, uh, somewhere between 70 and 85%. Uh, so, you know, th there was, you know, perhaps an opportunity missed there, but, you know, be that as it may. Um, but as we move out with vaccine um, availability and the immunizations. Uh, there's also been discussion that has happened in the media about, you know, who's going to get the vaccines. Obviously, there's a level 1A list of responders or recipients, rather, which includes, you know, first responders, um, people in long-term care facilities, uh, assisted living and nursing homes, as well as their staffs. And, and others that are priority recipients. Um, but there's been some talk uh, on the internet and, and elsewhere that there's the possibility that, you know, wealthy people, you know, that the, the rich people may be able to buy their way to the head of the line. 
And I hope that doesn't happen because there, you know, there are a lot of people who are at risk and who need it. But, you know, we will wait and see if, if that materializes or if the distributors can exercise um, some control over it. The other thing to keep in mind is, you know, we've had some additional um, high profile individuals uh, who have especially political uh, individuals who have contracted COVID-19. And, you know, the concern is raised if they are getting the special high potency treatments that uh, Donald Trump received, um, you know, notably, you know, Chris Christie had the disease and I believe he was treated with some of the the same cocktail that Donald Trump received and that aided in his recovery. Uh, there are other political leaders who have contracted the disease and, you know, are are potentially in line for, again, getting the the specialized, uh, non-approved uh, high potency treatment that, again, the president got. You know, so we, we've got this situation where we seem to be moving toward a have and have not uh, approach to vaccine treatment for COVID in this country. And as I said, I hope it does not come to that because, you know, this this disease does not uh, pick and choose who it impacts. You know, it, it isn't a, a Democrat disease. It isn't a Republican disease. It isn't a rich person disease. You know, it impacts across the board. We have seen many, you know, A-list celebrities. Uh, we have seen many uh, people uh, who you know, have, have died from this disease who were wealthy or who were, you know, had celebrity status. And, you know, it just is, is going back to COVID doesn't discriminate. So we need to make sure that, you know, whatever the guidelines are that come out as to what the order of people getting the vaccine is that we stick to that and in the meantime as you know the rest of us rank and file americans as we wait for our opportunity you know obviously we need to continue following the guidance of our you know uh, medical and and uh, scientific communities in terms of wearing a mask and and washing our hands and maintaining our distance and and doing all of the things avoiding you know, large scale scale gatherings, you know, and that that last one is particularly important as we are now, you know, some, uh, you know, 12 days away from Christmas. And, you know, what we are seeing is that we are, in fact, starting to see a post Thanksgiving surge that has occurred because of all the gatherings and the travel and all of the people who you know didn't practice the distancing and other guidelines. We are now seeing, you know, an even even greater surge. We've had a couple of days in the past week where we had more than 3,000 people uh, die in a day. And for the second week in a row, we have seen more than 1 million new cases of COVID-19, you know, present itself uh, in the United States. So, you know, the, we are not out of the woods yet. We still have much to do and practice uh, and we need to make sure that we uh, we do what we can because the other point is is that the hospitals in many areas of this country 
are at or near or in excess of their ICU capacity and in some cases of their hospital total capacity because of COVID-19. And you know what that is leading to is you know an interesting thing to think about is that hospitals are having to make decisions about who gets treated and who doesn't get treated, who gets on an, an, an intubator and who does not. Uh, you know, and you know, basically, I, I don't mean to be be morbid about this, but if you recall back to the arguments that were made by the Republicans to the Affordable Care Act when it was first presented uh, in the House and in the Senate. One of the big arguments that Republicans came out with time and time and time again is that it would, it would make the creation of so-called death panels where you know, there would be a, a panel deciding essentially who lived and who died. Um, fortunately, that never came to pass under the ACA. However, it looks like uh, coronavirus might be taking us in that direction, whether we like it or not. Uh, it is forcing you know, hospitals to make very difficult, very critical decisions and very painful decisions, not only for them as hospital workers, because that's not what they are supposed to do, but for the families and loved ones of those who are afflicted with the disease. You, you have the possibility that someone from the hospital is is going to tell a family that we can't treat your loved one. We have no room for them in the hospital. We have no equipment, no, you know, no intubators, no, no ventilators rather, um, to put them on. Uh, so, you know, we'll do the best we can, but their chance of recovery is greatly reduced because of it. You know, we, we need to think about that and we need to consider that as, as I've said before, this, this is not a political disease. This is not a left, right, red, blue uh, disease. This is an American disease. It's an American problem. And we all as Americans need to, to stand up and step up and do what we need to do to try and curtail the spread of this virus because it just continues to kill more and more people in our country. Um, you know, there is, there's a lot out there that is moving us in a positive direction, uh, but we need to do our part in addition to what the medical and scientific community is doing for us. Uh, we need to do what we can in order to keep from getting sick. So, you know, as we, we approach the Christmas holiday, uh, let's rethink those considerations about family gatherings and getting together in large numbers and you know, let's really take it to heart that a big chunk of getting our country through this disease rests with each and every one of us. So just something to think about. And on that note, we'll wrap up the show for this week. As always, I thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments or questions uh, or want to weigh in on uh, issues that we talked about today or at any time, Please uh, send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Fired Up Radio, on facebook.com. And you can also find us, uh, our archive space, uh, on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, You can go and search out Fired Up Radio or WJMS, and you will see all of the shows that are posted there. 
Uh, and of course, you can always find that information at WJMSRadio.com. So until next week, take care, everybody. Stay safe. Do what we need to do to, to curtail the spread of the disease. And I will look forward to talking to each of you again in seven days. Yesterday, and we're already late.